When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good evening, good evening, and welcome to the Anglo-Italian pod. As always, my name is Rory, and I'm joined by my very good friend, Adam. Hey, Rory. I've been living it up on this bank holiday Monday in the UK. Unfortunately for you, it didn't sound like offline. It's (laughs) been as enjoyable, but more importantly, mate, how have you been doing? I am all good, man. I feel like, you know, last episode we were talking about how the grief, like the, the early grief was setting in that the season was ending. This weekend it fully came home to yeah. roost as Arsenal absolutely battered walls. I was like, <laughs> oh, I've got to wait a couple of months before seeing this wonder team again. <laughs> how am I going to survive? And then, of course, the news that Bayern Munich had been talking to Declan Rice. Just absolute classic. Of we're not even in the Champions League yet and Bayern are tormenting us. I can see us getting <laughs> drawn against them again. They're already in our heads rent-free. Um, how have you been, man? How's your weekend? Good bank holiday? Yeah, very good. Very good. I was enjoying my son's birthday party yesterday. Ooh, so as birthday. you can imagine, it was quite wild. A uh, lot of enjoyable kids. Uh, that's not a euphemism, that's for sure. Um, but not Phil Schofield. Not you tree yet. Not you tree yet. <laughs> but uh, no, nonetheless, mate, it was very good. Uh, very busy, full on day. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, it's the end of the season when you've got Borussia Dortmund bottling it. I think oh, we God, were that was... all feeling it. Oh. We were all feeling that, weren't we? That was um, absolutely but, yeah. brutal. Just do a few minutes. Oh, my God. I sat and watched it, and I thought, you know what I thought? I was like, I prefer the fact that Arsenal threw the, gate, threw the league away a couple of games <laughs> ago than go through what Dortmund went through on that Saturday. Jesus Christ, it was horrible. Um, but that was some world-class shooting yourself in the foot. The first 20 minutes from Borussia Dortmund was absolutely disastrous. Did you see it? Yeah, just saw, you know, I I think like the majority of the game, I kind of saw the last 20 minutes, if that made sense. And it was just aimless punts up top. And it was just like, what are you doing? Like when Nicolas Sula is kind of juggling the ball in the box, you don't know what to expect. (laughs) Like Prime Van Basten. It was was amazing, wasn't it? It's just a shame it wasn't five minutes earlier. But um, yeah, unfortunately, another season where Borussia Dortmund failed to win. And that's probably the easiest chance they had, Rory. Um, But let's stick to Premier Premier League even and Serie A. What a fascinating weekend we had. And in typical Anglo-Italian podcast tradition, do not back us when we say someone is going to do it. Because Leeds, we should have seen it, Rory. There was only two possibilities in terms of equations that Leeds could have survived. And we had to just jump it up, didn't we? Um, Yeah. It was as predictable as milk curdling, I'm afraid. Uh, yeah, mm. leads were down and out. But Rory, what else is there to discuss tonight? Um, in the Premier League, we have lots to talk about. We have Leeds versus Leicester, Leeds and Leicester going down, of course. Mm. Everton surviving from an absolute rocket from Adelaide Decore. Uh, not great viewing down at Goodson Park. Still, we're going to talk about Aston Villa make it. Emery 
Should he have had a shout at manager of the year, despite mm. only being here half yeah. a season? Unbelievable scenes there, even if Jacob Ramsey wasn't impressed. Um, and then we're going to do a little bit of a roundup talking about, I'll say farewell to Xhaka. And we'll talk a little bit about Mitrovic and a few other things. A crazy game down at St. Mary's. Um, and then that's the Premier League done. We're going to have another show where we do our kind of player of the season, goal of the season, full season review, I think. But we'll just be talking, focusing about this weekend. Um, Adam, what are we going to be talking about in Italy? Well, we talked about Borussia Dortmund bottling it. Well, Spezia are also bottling it in terms of survival <laughs> here. So we'll be talking very much about that playoff mix with Spezia and Hellas Verona going into that final day. And we've got a guest, Rory, that will help us out because it's his very team that are taking on Spezia on the last day of the season. So <laughs> it'll be fascinating to take his views on how he thinks the game is going to go. Um, we spoke offline about a certain match that they've got lined up soon. Um, but more importantly, also, Rory, talking about Milan. Milan have secured that place after. They did it. I don't know what you would describe that match, but certainly not the most enthralling match ever. Um, but we did kind of predict that Milan would be up for it, and they certainly showed their passion there. But then we've also got to speak about Spalletti. Spalletti looks like he's going on a sabbatical. Um, so, yeah, we'll discuss that. Plus, Rory, we'll forget about that. We'll also kind of put the rights of Thursday's pod and actually explain to our listeners about Serie B. We and do that play know about mix. football, I promise. We, we try our best. Know. We try our best. So we'll put that right and make sure you know which fixtures actually happened and what actually happened in terms of the score lines there, Rory. And we'll also talk about Kenilworth Road. We'll talk about Kenilworth Road. That is the new ground in the Premier League as well, Rory. So I feel like it's kind of gone under the radar. I don't know if anybody knows anything about Kenilworth Road. It's really been very quiet, right? If you've ever been to Dunstable, it's 10 times more enjoyable than that. Let's put it that way. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Well, before we start the show, I super quickly wanted to say that down in Serie C, there was absolute scenes this weekend as... Lecco in their um, <laughs> playoff game, they conceded a late goal, um, at which point their chairman stormed onto the pitch mm. for a walking stick. He got sent off. Um, now, the tunnel, it was in the opposite corner of the pitch, so he rides off on his mobility scooter <laughs> as he's being sent to the stadium. But as he does, he makes sure to have a few choice words with the opposition goalkeeper. You can see the goalkeeper just kind of looking at him like, who is this <laughs> man? Is this? Just driving past his little mobility scooter. If you've not seen it, check it out. It is unbelievable. The scenes down in Serie Chief for those playoffs is even more complicated than Serie B. There's a re- reason why we've not mentioned it, but those scenes definitely <laughs> caught my eye this weekend. But guys, we are going to go to the main show. So we're going to take a very quick break and we're going to be talking all things Premier League after this and here we are it's the premier league section and i think we're gonna start down at goodison park the mm. toffees survive a sticky situation thanks to yeah. abdullah decore scoring an absolute belter from <laughs> Yeah. That is the definition of a goal coming from nowhere. Yeah. Everton looked like they were just limping towards relegation. <laughs> there was no part of that team that offered any urgency, any pressing, any aggression, any direction. It was all just a bit passive. And Bournemouth, I think if Bournemouth had more on the line, if they had something to play for, they mm-hmm. would have gone ahead. They would have yeah. won that game fairly comfortably. But I think Bournemouth, again, were also quite passengery um, within mm-hmm. the game. 
Decore does score, and then after that, it kind of felt inevitable that Everton would see it out. Yeah. I think Bournemouth pushed a little bit when Kiefer Moore came on. He had a few chances. He offered a bit yeah. more of a different threat, as he does. But in general, I think maybe Toffees fans wouldn't agree, but maybe a more comfortable afternoon than they, than they expected. What do you think, Adam? I think so. And um, I'm just going to say for context, I kind of were skipping between the games as they mm. were kicking off live. So I kind of got bits and pieces. Um, but in summary, yeah, I think you've really summed it up nicely because Everton didn't necessarily have a threat. I didn't feel like they were comfortable in that sense. Mm. But certainly as soon as that goal happened, all the defences happened. You know, Sean Dyche went to Brexit football. They held up. They made sure they played to the whistle. And that was literally mm. Sean Dyche was going, it's fucking time. Like, but yeah, I mean, Bournemouth didn't really offer too much. It has to be, mm. I was a bit disappointed. I mean, we were bigging them up as well on Thursday squad. Again, don't go with I us. I said 3 0 early doors to Bournemouth, by the way. <laughs> I was a bit close with 2 1, but never mind. Um, yeah. It was just one of those that seems like Bournemouth were going through the motions. Mm -hmm. They had nothing to play for, as he said. And I think they were just on the beach, literally. Um, So, yeah, I think the fact that you could hear the crowds knowing about the other score lines, that probably helped as well. So overhearing probably the celebration of Leeds getting togged 4-1. And we'll we'll allude to that at some point. but yeah, you, you'll be gutted if you're Leicester as well because they had a great performance on the day, but mm-hmm. it was far too late in terms of the situation. So, um, Rory, any summary otherwise? I think the only thing with Everton, and I'm going to talk about all the three teams in general, I suppose, but the only mm-hmm. thing with Everton is that I think if it doesn't happen this season, it's happening next season. It yeah. feels like they've really just delayed the inevitable. Like, Sorry to like piss all of your chips, Everton <laughs> fans, but I think you're aware of it as well. There's nothing within that where I think, okay, now go again. Like It's still the same owners. They've still got that stadium yeah. being built. They've still got a really misshapen squad. Like I think the fact that Dominic Calvert-Lewin was injured meant that they had no clear, they had no striker, really. It was Damari Gray that did make a difference to this performance. Mm-hmm. But there was nothing really there where I was like, okay, you can build on that. And also, with Sean Dyche, like, I was looking at, he's got five wins and six draws in 15 games, which isn't bad, but he's only averaging 1.17 points per game. Mm-hmm. Frank Lampard was averaging a point a game. So the improvement actually hasn't been that much. So obviously, Frank Lampard is over a 44-game mm-hmm. span, so it's not quite kind of um, exactly uh, matched. Yeah. But I feel like you can see that the same trend is there. I don't know if there's been the turnaround at Everton that you would expect with Dyche. Um, so I don't know if they stick with him next season. I assume they will. And then where does he take them? I, I can't really see much progress there. What do you what do you think? Yeah, massively. I, I'm, I'm agreeing with you because I think the other context is that um, you may recall a few weeks ago we were talking about Everton potentially having lawsuit against them mm-hmm. because of financial irregularities, obviously about the fact that the clubs that went down last season combined with the teams that are likely to go down this season are also going to kind of join up together and kind of take Everton to the courts now because obviously they were massively over budget when it came yeah. to it from the previous season. So I think it's going to bite them in the ass. Um, obviously, they needed to stay up just financially just because of the building work of the new stadium as well because it's escalated about £200 million in terms of costs. So 
survival in the Premier League was massive because of the amount of money that's in the league. Um, but like you say, I'm struggling to see kind of any fruits or bears, like, you know, where you kind of say, right, Dyche can build on this squad going mm. forward. Normally, when you've got a side that's struggling, but they stay up, you've got a few players. Now, I appreciate the likes of Pickford as someone to kind of call upon, Dwight McNeil to an extent, Calvert-Lewin if he's on fire. But none of these players have necessarily been fantastic this season. I think Jordan Pickford's maybe think, is an exception. But I think Pickford yeah. is the exception there, but I don't think he'll be at Everton next season. No. I think he's going to end up at Tottenham. I think Spurs are looking for a new keeper and he would <laughs> he would fit them quite well. Yeah. Um, I, I would enjoy seeing Pickford at Tottenham, I'll be honest. Um, but I think I, I can't see him being there. Calvert-Lewin, I feel like he was mad and uh, when it was locked down he was incredible yes, and then fans yeah. came back and he's never been the same since so it's a bit of a weird one there but Everton sorry to rain on your parade a little bit but you stayed up it's fine you get one more year at least I suppose but elsewhere the unlucky teams I'm gonna say one was unlucky one was absolutely yeah. pathetic there's Leeds <laughs> and Leicester going down now I I sat down in front of the telly right and I was like okay I've got I've got the channel where it's going from ground to ground. It's showing yeah. you every goal. I was like, right, okay, Leeds, here we go. Two minutes, Harry Kane scores. I was like, okay, well, that was, <laughs> that was fun while it lasted. Um, that is definitely that one gone. And it was completely one-sided from that point. I think what I saw in that Leeds performance was the most amateurish defending and just complete confusion it felt like nobody knew where where they were supposed to be, what the game plan was, what was happening beyond just don't let them concede. So then the second mm -hmm. you concede so early, it's like, okay, now what? Like some of the defending on that, that Lucas Moura goal, incredible goal, right? Yes, Great way yeah. to end your Spurs career. But there's about four defenders there that could have stopped him. Um, and I feel bad for Liam Cooper because you could see that he was visibly upset at the end of the match. He's like cl club captain, loves yeah. the club, loves Leeds. He flies into a tackle so early there. Mm. It's just complete rush of blood to the head. Leaves more at all the space to run into. But that was just like symbolic of that performance from Leeds for me. And then mm. the cherry on the cake, I suppose, was um, Weston McKenney getting subbed and all the Leeds fans chanting at him, you fat <laughs> bastard, as he walked off the pitch. <laughs> was peak Elland Road. I really, yeah. really enjoyed that. Um, I did see on Twitter as well, a Leeds fan shared it today, like, McKenny straight on a train to Turin. You can show how much he, you see how much he <laughs> cared. And everyone was just like, you verbally abused him off a pitch. What do you expect? Do you want him to be like hanging around at the training ground? Like, of course. But I feel like it really summed up the afternoon for Leeds. That big Sam experiment has massively nice. not worked. Absolutely not worked. Um, and I've got a question for you, Adam. Is that his last job in the Premier League? I think we've seen the end of the Big Sam era. I think he went into this for a payday. That's, that's <laughs> literally it. I mean, I think they worked out, was it 250k per game? Something stupid like that. It's dreadful record. Dreadful record. And and he got one I point. Can't, I can't, right? uh, yeah, I mean, point. you compare that to Roy Hodgson, who obviously had a bit more time. And I think a better squad. So you can see a slight difference in contrasting of their stars. But Leeds did not have a squad that was kind of geared up to that Sam Allardyce kind of philosophy, should I say? Yeah. Um, because I think you need someone to be a target man in that kind of conception. And it's not going to happen with that Leeds no. squad. Um, they played the cards far too late. Um, I think it's obviously 
management from the previous season, if you think about it. So Jesse Marsh was a failed experiment. Then they had the opportunity to maybe fix things. And that probably is the better time to bring in someone like Sam Allardyce if you're going to do that experiment. But mm-hmm. they went with Xavi Garcia and that didn't work out. Um, they, you know, they tried to back him as best they could. But I think it's far too late by that stage. Because yeah, if you yeah. remember, this was past the January transfer window by that stage. So what did they expect? Um, mm. But I think it's acting on the point of they knew money was involved. And um, yeah, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that's the shareholders, the American group uh, of the 49ers, I think they're called. Yep. Obviously, they would have purchased the club if they stayed up in the Premier League. Now, as mm-hmm. it stands, they're probably going to not invest as it currently stands. And um yeah, Radrazani is stuck with the club by all accounts. I think he and has plans to take that money and spend yeah. it in Sampdoria by all accounts. So mm-hmm. um, it's very fascinating to see how he plays this because I think there's a lot of kind of thoughts that he will still lead this Leeds team, but it's just a question mark now in terms of you're going to have to strip out that squad. You're going to have to start mm-hmm. all over again. You're not going to have a Bielsa by your side, unfortunately, not no. to kind of ingrain a new style of football. So He's got to trust someone that is going to build something for that team because I think this could be the beginning again of Leeds struggling in the championship for a number of seasons, mm-hmm. I feel, um, because that that kind of clubs that are in that mix now, it's not going to be easy to get out of that league, no. that's for sure. No, the championship lineup next year is ridiculous, by the way. Yeah. There is like some huge, huge teams down there. Um, but I feel like, yeah, the, the Radratani thing is interesting because he's now currently, as you said, trying to buy Sampdoria. Mm. The owner of Sampdoria, who's a massive prick, is now holding out <laughs> for three million of a 30 million deal, meaning that Sampdoria might miss the registration window. So they're yeah. not even Serie B. It's like this whole house of cards is kind of hanging up. But you're right. With Leeds, it feels a bit more disastrous. Um, I was mm. looking at their squad. Now, of the players that I thought maybe if you keep these around, <clears throat> sorry, you could get back up. You've got Rodrigo. Now he's gonna he's gonna yeah, go. He'll go. Nyonto is gonna go and it's gonna yes. be a bargain, whoever gets him. Um Aronson, I think Leeds fans would carry him to the station in themselves, <laughs> but he will probably go. Um Tyler Adams. Despite his injury injury mm-hmm. worries this year, yes. lots of Premier League teams are going to be after him. Sinistera, I think, has shown signs of quality. Um, Somerville as well. Young got a few goals. Winner mm-hmm. at Anfield feels like a long time ago now. And then the one that I think every team in the Premier League should be looking at is Jack Harrison. I think he's unbelievable, that guy. He's had a good season Mm -hmm. for Leeds in a terrible team. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's another player that could disappear. So I think when you look at that Leeds squad, all of a sudden, if they go, you've not really got much left. You can try and put some of that money back in, but it's fire sale prices at this point, if you know what I mean, because people know you have to take what they're offering. So I think for Leeds, it does feel a little bit more disastrous, but it's the writing's been on the wall since Mm. Jesse Marsh stayed on at the end of last season. I think someone shared the clip of him celebrating when they stayed up and they lost <laughs> four nil that game. And that's like Salernitana levels of celebrating. <laughs> What's was this? Special, very special to be <laughs> celebrating four nil and dancing on the pitch. I would have been fuming. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, unlucky leads. I loved having you in the Premier League. I really hope you're back soon because you bring so much hatred to the league and people really, <laughs> really don't like you. And I think it's a worse place for you not being there. Um, but the unlucky side of this, and I'm going to say it's unlucky, is Leicester. I feel like there's a lot of teams that have been down at the bottom for ages and have avoided the drop <laughs> ever, mm. right? Yeah, yeah. And they've just always been lucky and avoided. Leicester have been down there once, straight down. 
And I think a lot of it has been mismanagement, and we're going to get into that as yeah. well. Like the amount of players on the final year of their contract is absolutely mental. Yeah. Um, they've got Bertrand, Evans, Mendy, uh, Amati, Soyuncu, Tielemans, and Tete all out of contract at the end of the season. To let that happen from the board is just yeah. that's malpractice. Like you know that there's so many players that are just going to be looking over their shoulder. The second mm. it gets difficult, their agents on the phone. And then you've got players like Madison that I think they held as, as good as he's been yes. this season for them. They held on to him a bit too long because mm-hmm. I think he's not been in it as much as he, he wanted to go to Newcastle last year. I think so, yeah. Like, obviously, they would have been in a worse place without him, but I think not having that that full commitment as yeah. well as all the players out of contract just leads to this apathy as the season gets difficult. They did have a very good performance against West Ham. Um do you think there's enough sign there for for optimism? I think there's still a good squad there. I think they've still got a, a willing chairman, should we say. So mm-hmm. a chairman that's going to like ride this through and appreciate that, look, they've got themselves into this situation. How do they ensure that going forward they don't have this again going forward? Um, and massively, like you've alluded to, I think a number of those players that are out of contracts, they probably would have seen the back of anyway. Siyunshu is an, a typical example of this, where he had a bit of hype in that first season. But since then, I've not really seen the Siyunshu that was talked up as potentially being this world-class centre-back. Um, and, you know, Tillemans is another good example where this season, and I think even previous season, uh, we had Ryan Hubbard do the preview for Leicester City. Mm-hmm. And he even talked about, actually, he's not the star man when it comes to that midfield. It's actually the likes of Harvey Barnes. It yeah, is yeah. the likes of, obviously, James Madison. And he actually alluded to James Madison's the man that gets them ticking over. If you don't have him in the squad they really do struggle um mm-hmm. the fact that they brought in dennis pratt who we know from his area exposure with torino as well and obviously sampdoria previous to that i think that kind of tells you how bad they were in that kind of general midfield mm-hmm. area um but I, I feel for dennis uh dennis smith um because i feel like he would have or should i say it's not dennis smith david dean smith, smith. Isn't it? Dean smith even <laughs> going through all the d's um but yeah um I feel like he would have got something out of them by the end of the season. Unfortunately, it's just a bit too short a time span for him to get involved, I feel. Um, and yeah, I think up top, they've been lacking a real goal scoring threat. I mean, mm-hmm. I know we talk about Pats and Daka, for example, but the fact that you've got Jamie Vardy brought in very much as like a last resort now, and he's just not the same Jamie Vardy that we know of. I think, you know, Kylian Iheanacho, He's a good enough backup, but that's it. He's not really someone that's consistent enough. And I think there's a number of areas in that squad where you can see they went really badly in terms of recruitment as well. Because you think about some of the players that they brought in as replacements for like Kante, Drinkwater, for example. You know, they've not been to that same level. And I appreciate that was maybe a fluke in some respects, but... That's the what, head of recruitment also. The head of recruitment got poached by Arsenal. I think is he at mm-hmm. Arsenal now? I think he was. He got poached by one of the bigger clubs. I think that made a huge difference. Um, but yeah, the, I think replacing Vardy was always going to be damn near impossible Definitely, for yeah. Leicester yeah. because, like, yeah. and he needs to be starting every single game for him to get that, like, you know, pace for the confidence yeah. and consistency and stuff. But we have a very good um, point from our guest popping up early saying, "When was the last mm. time?" Wilfred Ndidi had a good game. It doesn't help when he's played at centre-back, but yeah, he has had a very off-and-on season. Um, Like most of the squad, I think. But a a player, again, that I think 
a lot of Premier League teams would be going, yeah, I'll take a punt on him. Someone like someone like a Palace, they could get him and just shore up that midfield a little bit. I think he'd do a job. Um, but you mentioned Harvey Barnes. I yeah. want him at Arsenal yesterday, honestly. Mm. I really, yeah. really like him as a player. I think the, the, the goal he scored there yesterday, it was a beautiful move from Leicester. Oh, but yeah. his ability to just put the ball into the far corner, like his directness, he is quite mm. clinical in front of goal. I think he's he's a player that needs to be snatched up the second, well, yeah. round about now, really. There should be clubs on, on the phone to his agent. Because Shit, I think seriously, he's yeah. Such a good player. And within a few years, with the right development, I think he could be in an England shirt like as an option. I really uh, think yeah. he's incredible. I think a few windows ago, I think he should have been called up to the England squad. Mm-hmm. For some reason, I think uh, Gareth Southgate just overlooks him. Yeah. Um, but he does seem to work quite well when there's a target man or someone that can run mm-hmm. or latch on to things because, like you say, he's quite direct. But he seemed to work quite well, if you remember, two seasons ago when Brendan Rodgers first came into the club. Yeah, yeah. He actually latched on to a lot of what Jamie Vardy was doing. So down that left-hand side, he was doing fantastic stuff. Um, and another player that I think will be poached this summer from Leicester is Castagna. Uh, obviously, oh, the Belgium. Timmy Chestnut. Yeah, great. I, I love I love the way where he's quite confident on the ball. He's good defensively. He's good in the attacking sense. I think he'd be a solid backup for any club that's in that top four mix. But seriously, I think he's a player that would thrive on constant football. And you know, you're talking about the likes of a Brighton or someone like that, that'd be a fantastic place for him to yeah. play at. I think I really do think like European football combination of being a team player as well, being part of the squad. He'd be a fantastic addition. Mm-hmm. So deserve get on it. Get on it, please. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> no, I think I, I think you're right. And this is the most expensive squad in Premier League history yes. to be yeah. uh, relegated. They've got the most expensive wage budget. They're gonna have to do a lot to get themselves out of this. But of the three teams that went down, we're gonna go all the way down south, and there was a bit of a shootout at the St. Mary's <laughs> as it all went a bit mad. Um Liverpool won't go 2 0 up, and you think, okay. Fairly routine end of the season win. 2 2, 4 2, 4 4. And all of a sudden, you go, oh, this is classic end of the day. This is classic end of the day where all the rules just go out the window. And all of a sudden, there's signs of hope for Southampton as Sulemana scores two incredible goals. Mm. Um, a player that they picked up from Lorient in January. I think another yeah. one of those young players that's kind of part of this exciting group. I still think it's exciting. Um, and he showed a real clinicalness and some quality there. Um, were yeah. you impressed? I know there was nothing there, like nothing on the line. But you yeah. in, were you impressed by Southampton? Um, we're going to talk about the new manager who's apparently coming in and how what we think for the future for them. But were you impressed by the performance? I, I think there's some glimmer of hope, should we say. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, it, uh, if you look and strip away some of the poor, poorer players, should we say, I think you've got a core of a interesting squad like the likes of Bazunu who we quite rate this season I feel he's been really harshly done by the fact that the rest of his teammates have been absolutely shambolic for the majority of how the isn't season. he getting a game by the way McCarthy is dog shit oh, I, I don't get I, how Bazunu is getting yeah, a game. I think there is a maybe clause potentially they have to pay Man City uh, oh, for a certain okay, amount right. of games and I suspect there's also probably a sell-on clause as well so mm. I suspect they're just kind of like let's just wait and we will sell him on essentially mm-hmm. um, because he's going to be snaps up. Guaranteed. Yeah, oh yeah. He's, he's a great goalkeeper. Up. He's a very, great, very goalkeeper. great goalkeeper. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think you're probably going to allude to Lavia who made a shocking mistake for the Jota's goal, which was yeah. play it out the back. And unfortunately, 
these things happen for younger yeah, players. They yeah. play it and unfortunately didn't see or didn't look up, should we say, and uh, shot. It was just one of those that you kind of see on a five-a-side game. Yeah, you don't yeah, nat yeah. naturally kind of associate it for a game and you could see what happened there. But apart from that, I think you like Alcaraz, for example, from yep, the very uh, exciting Argentinian player. side. Um, mm -hmm. He looks really quite a handy player, but... As you allude to, I think Soleimani has been a very interesting player. I think he's going to be a load of suitors for him. And another player that I will pick out out of this squad is actually Walker Peters. I think he's been one of the players that mm -hmm. goes under the radar, but he's a consistent wing back. He can play left or right. I think he's he's fantastic to have as a utility yeah. man. I think there's not enough of those kind of players in the modern kind of squads mm -hmm. anymore. And he seems to be someone that's consistent. I appreciate he's probably more of a six or seven out of ten. He's not nothing maybe massive unless he scores a worldie or something like that. But <laughs> yeah, apart yeah, from yeah. that, I think he's a solid squad player. So again, I think there's going to be a few suitors for Southampton, but they have got that group that are trying to build Southampton up at the moment. So like you allude to, the next manager has been brought in for sole reason of rebuilding this squad, mm -hmm. maybe getting a philosophy going. Be interesting how he uh, kind of blends it in and brings in his own team because, yeah, this manager, I think we're going to say the same name, but yeah, he's going to take time, I feel. I don't know. He's Russell Martin, right? Russell yeah, Martin from yeah. Swansea. And I think yeah. he's done that. Swansea is a team I always keep an eye out for because I like Ellis James, the comedian, and he's a Swansea <laughs> supporter. So I always keep an eye out for him and see how they're doing. And they've, they've been really hard to figure out because I think they've had some really good results. Mm. And then you look and they're like 14th and you're like, what the hell's going on? Yeah, yeah. Um, but I know that he has a very specific or very particular style of football. He yes. is kind of a philosophy coach. He is like, and in his career before, I think he's had success before Swansea, he was at MK Dons, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. He did quite well there. Um, is it a manager that Southampton could look forward to? I think it's a good fit with those young players that we've talked about. Yeah, I think if he... Because the one thing you can say about his early days at Swansea was he brought in a particular style of football and he stuck with it. So he's mm -hmm. kind of a purist when it comes to that football aspect. Uh, one that I can talk about because I remember him being a footballer when he first started at Wickham Wanderers before he went on and flourished. Um, and there's been a lot of rave reviews about his philosophy as a coach as well, because I think he instills that confidence to the team. A bit like Vincent Company in okay. terms of the style of football is what we should expect from this upcoming nice. maybe Southampton side. But I think there is a caveat to like what he's done at Swansea, which is I think that's at a certain level where sometimes that style of football doesn't necessarily win you games these days. I think mm. you have to add elements to it, like be a bit more clinical, be a bit more Jose perhaps. Mm -hmm. And th those are the kind of elements that maybe he's still developing at the moment. So I think this is a appointment that you have to give him time if you're going to back him and maybe say you don't get instant success straight away. If he does, mm -hmm. brilliant, fantastic. But then I think the problem you'll have is if he goes into Premier League, you're going to have to have someone that maybe is a bit more experienced by his side, potentially, you know, a director of football, just to guide him yeah, in yeah. terms of those signings, because I think he's going to be very fresh to that marketplace, um, especially the, the calibre of players. Don't forget, yeah, when it comes yeah. to that style, when you go into Premier League, you're very much reliant on someone being the steer of it, like we've said about the direction of football at Leicester City, for example. Or you, you have to have an experienced manager that knows what he's doing, the calibre of players he wants, yeah. right? And I think that that's the difference. So it feels like Southampton have got a kind of 
philosophy going on, maybe a style that they want to achieve. But yeah, it's just a question of getting those results. Look, they made a really bad signing when they got Nathan Jones in. Like, uh, <laughs> I'll tell you what, he brightened up the league. He definitely he did. made it more interesting. Very, very sure of himself. Let's put it that way. Um, maybe not on the coaching side of things. Um, but yeah, I think that that's, that's going to be an interesting thing. And I think for Southampton, actually, James Ward-Prowse would be very curious if he stays there. I, I feel the rumours are he's going to be gone. He'll be gone. But it's just a question of which club will stump up the money. And Spurs. I think that's the big one. Um, but I could see he's him got in Spurs a number, written of, all over him. number of teams, Rory. I could see him at yeah. Arsenal. I could see him at Man United. That's the kind of thing that he could play at a number of clubs. That's how good he is. So let's wait and see. But yeah, Russell Martin, someone to look forward to, I feel. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna say it. My slightly warm, tepid take is that I think maybe it's a hot take. I don't know. Um, is that I think Southampton are in the best position to come straight back up and will be the first of the teams to return to the Premier okay. League. Maybe not this year, but I think they'll be the first of Leicester and Leeds and themselves to go up because I feel like Leeds are going to have a few years to figure out where they find Marcelo, Marcelo Bielsa's twin. <laughs> um, and Leicester are going to have to do a lot of cutting of the box. So I think Southampton could be in the best position. But we're going to leave the relegation battle there for now. And we're going to talk about who is going to replace them now, have you heard about Luton Stadium? <laughs> it's not been on Twitter at all, to be fair. I think people have Definitely kept not. it fairly quiet. <laughs> Kenilworth Road. Now, I saw a great stat about Arsenal. Now, I was happy that Southampton went down, right? So I was like, oh, finally, we don't have to go away to South. We don't have to go away to St Mary's. Okay. We always lose at St Mary's. Now, Arsenal have won not won none, drawn six, and lost four. Of the last 10 trips to Kenilworth Road in all competitions. Guess who's going to get them first game of the season away on a Friday night? I tell you now, the first game to kick it off is going to be Luton Arsenal because Sky love to see us suffer. They can hate us. (laughs) But without Luton already being in my head rent-free as well, we need to talk about an incredible achievement for Mm. Luton. And Panzu does it. He becomes the first player to make it from the National League to the Premier League with the same club. Fairy tale stuff. What did you make of the game, Adam? I, I enjoyed it, I think. Tale of two halves, I think, is yeah. a fair reflection of the game because um, obviously I think Luton seemed to have a bit more about them in the first half, certainly. And I think what maybe helped them rally against this was seeing their captain obviously faint massively, mm-hmm. like in that first 14 minute spell. So that must have been a bit of a shock for them to lose someone as pivotal as he has been. So Tom Lockyer we're talking about here, who, yeah, he's been pivotal for their season. But yeah, I mean, they took a fantastic lead in this game. Jordan Clark, who we, we talked about the players that they had, right? We talked about that they've been all poached from lower levels. You know, they're not big stars when it comes to the championship level, but they're a team that obviously grind together. They work for each other. And it was superb in terms of mm-hmm. that movement. And uh, Adebayo, who was uh, up top, fantastic in terms of being talismanic. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't see so much of it with Carlton Morris, unfortunately. But mm. yeah, Adebayo um, was very good at that kind of deceptive kind of weaving runs as well. And I think he helped kind of create that motion happen, first of all, because it was his run that goes into the box. Let's Jordan Clark through, and then Jordan Clark smashes it past the goalie. Which you know, Coventry, you could tell were very shocked by that first forty-five minutes. But second yeah. half, Rory Coventry came out of the blocks. Definitely, probably had a bit of a shouting in the ear around their performance. <laughs> and 
yeah, they they came out looking like the team that was likely to win this match, Rory. I, I felt like, and I I felt sorry because you know I was secretly kind of trying to hope that Coventry would go up. I know we said with our heads that Luton would go up. I was thinking with my heart there because I'm an ex Coventry University mm-hmm. student. I was like, Concrete City, come on, let's deliver it to the Premier League. But unfortunately, yeah, the kind of penalty shootout and. Um, Fantastic penalty shootout, regardless of that miss by Darbo. Every penalty was insane <clears throat> until Darbo. I felt so sorry for him. Yeah. Like, uh, just, oh, God. You could see when he was walking up, he was absolutely crap in his pants. And I was just yeah. like, and all of them, I was like, I was waiting for that nervous-looking player. And I was like, all of them look pretty calm. And they were, like, hitting him. The Gukarez penalty was unbelievable. I just pinned it in the top corner like there were some quality penalties there mm. but that darbo just looked like it was just too big for him and i just felt incredibly sorry for him but the, like yeah. and it was i think as you said like Luton the better team first off coventry the better team second off it was so evenly balanced like, i always thought it's going to be penalties that separates this it's going to just be i know yeah. like it's a cliche but the lottery of penalties which decides Massive. who goes up here because i think they were two very evenly matched teams they both went for it as well. I don't think any of the teams were either, were kind of waiting for no. extra time or desperate to get to penalties. I think they were desperate not to get to penalties. They yeah. were kind of really going for it. Um, <clears throat> and I think there was a few players, like now not just because he's ex-Arsenal, but Ben Sheaf in midfield for Coventry, I thought was absolutely mm-hmm. fantastic. He scored a very good penalty as well. Yeah. Um, and I thought Bidwell as well was very good. Bidwell, and Hamer, yeah. yeah and mm-hmm. Hamer, of course, with the goal as well. That was a beautiful counter-attack from, Co- from yes, Coventry. it was. Just like yeah. three passes and they're through. Um, so, yeah, some really nice football commiserations, Coventry. I think you'll yeah. be pushing again next year. I think I they'll think be so. pushing again next year. Um, but for Luton, welcome to the Premier League. The scenes are going to be absolutely incredible. Um, <clears throat> what do we rate their chances? Now, obviously, they're going to be massive favourites to go down. Yeah. How do you feel about What do you think? I said on Thursday's show, and I'll stick by it, I think out of the two, they're the most likely to win more at home because I yeah. think there'll be teams that will not fancy going to that ground. And yes, it is Kenworth Road. Top it is Kenworth Road. But genuinely, they can get behind that team. I've been there as a visitor in the way ends. And yeah, it is quite loud. And it's a it's going to be a shock for a lot of those players being so close to the actual supporters, mm-hmm. you know, especially at the corner of their kind of version of the cop, essentially. It's kind of, if you look at the angles of the stadium, because it's part of their modernization, they've got kind of like a a block that kind of extends itself to the old kind of main stand, if that yeah, makes sense. Yeah, it's like a it's weird very hard angle, to describe, it? yeah, but yeah. it is basically <clears throat> a partial um, block that is all seated. And then you've got the traditional old school seats, which are wooden seats, essentially. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the stands as well. So, it's going to be very fascinating to see that atmosphere there. Players will not fancy it if they can get that team behind it. So, and mm-hmm. take away from that, team-wise, you can see by the way they play the ball, they've got some really exciting players. Yeah. If they can keep to that strength, and uh, they will be the favourites to go down. But if, I think they'll win a few games. Mm-hmm. I, I'm going to say they'll win more than five games this or next season, okay. should I say. I, like I think it. they'll win more than five, especially mm-hmm. with the home atmosphere. I think they will frighten a few teams. You think They've got a very good manager as well. The manager's very good. Yeah. He did a great job at Forest Green as well, right? That's where yeah, he was fantastic right? team. And then yeah, obviously yeah. the interesting bit is brought into Watford, the rivals <laughs> of Luton, get sacked by the Pozo family, 
brought in by Luton and gets them get them promoted, promoted in the first, <laughs> and that's the only manager in history in the championship where he's been uh, sacked by another team in the championship and then takes up reins at another club and gets wow. them promoted. So he's created history by himself. Um, Very but yeah, nice. it's going to be f- fascinating. Obviously, they've talked about the infrastructure. It's not just the infrastructure they've got to get right. It's the type of players they bring in as well yeah. because I think that is going to be very difficult they're going to have a load of agents around them sniffing around them offering certain players Vlavic is probably out of their price league but I wouldn't be surprised if we see a Paredes or someone like that turning up at Kenilworth Road let's wait and see though uh, I really hope they get that one marquee player. There's going to be one marquee so. player. We're going to have to get your suggestions Kanu, into who it's going Kanu to be. for Bantz. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Still registered as 35 years old. Yeah. Um, but we do need to very quickly move on to the rest of the Premier League. I just want to... Oh, we haven't even talked about Villa yet. Jesus Christ. No, we Aston Villa, Aston bloody Villa. Um, Unai Emery has now, since taken over the club, um, he's they are fifth in the league since he came in and took over um, at Aston Villa. He's been unbelievable. 15 wins, four draws, and six losses. Averaging 1.96 points per game. Um, Douglas Luiz, five goals and five assists since Emery came in. Um, he's breathed new life into Ollie Watkins. The energy at Aston Villa just looked incredible. Now, obviously, Brighton already done. They've already got their season in the Europa League. They're happy. But I still think this was a performance from Villa that even if Brighton wanted to win it, Villa wasn't going to let them. Um, Aston Villa Conference League. It's amazing, right? It's incredible. You you feel like now they're going to push on. We've heard rumours about Pau Torres potentially coming in with Diego Colitos um, as being the Mm -hmm. kind of formidable centre-back pairing. But, you know, with Tyron Mings and Concer, I mean, that Mm -hmm. looks already like great kind of team already being built. Obviously, maybe up top, they need to maybe give Watkins a bit of rest. So potentially Mm -hmm. there might be someone up there. But I think if you look across that midfield as well, they seem to have a bit of a rotation going on as well. So mm-hmm. Bubikar Kamara as well, for example, he's going to be a hell player. of a player yeah. in Europe, I feel. Uh, McGinn, I, I feel it's back. I'm glad to see Villa back in European action, if that makes sense. And it'll mm-hmm. be good to see where he can push them on. I mean, if they are going to win a tournament, this feels like a potential chance for them to get some silverware, right? Unai Emery in a European competition, you've got like, the odds are going to be halved the second now. There's going to be like (laughs) maximum eight to one or something because they're managed by Emery. So they'll at least get to the semi-finals. I'm telling you. Um, And you've summed it up. Their squad is very, very good. It's a very Mm. good squad. Um, And yeah, seeing McGinn back to his best is beautiful because I think when he first came into the Premier League, I was super excited about it. To think that Steven Gerrard was this season is absolutely (laughs) mind-blowing. It's just, it's been the longest season in history um but sorry villa we've we've run out of time to talk about yeah. you we just want to say congratulations i did really enjoy jacob ramsey on the bus going fucking hell it's only the conference league and then ponza <laughs> just telling him to shut the fuck up and enjoy the get like enjoy the show the villa fans were going mad so absolutely love it down there in birmingham um i'm gonna be super selfish and very very quickly just say jacka brace on his final game for the club the redemption story of Granite Xhaka is absolutely mm. insane. If someone said to me three years ago, four years ago, that I'd be slightly upset that he's leaving, yes, I would not have believed you. From throwing your shirt on the pitch and telling the fans where to go to 
the Arsenal, like the Emirates chanting Granite Xhaka, we want you to stay. It shows the, well, it shows the uh, the flimsiness of football fans to a degree, but yeah. it also shows you the um, the character of the man, I think. He really has, in this new position, become a leader in the team. He's absolutely grafted. We have, for the first time since 89-90, we haven't had a single player sent off. Granite Xhaka did not get sent off this season. No one got sent off this season for Arsenal. And that character of Xhaka fighting, like at Newcastle away, mm, he told Callum yeah. Wilson where to go, but not <laughs> taking it too far and getting sent off. I just think, I never thought I'd be sad to see him go. But yeah, thank you, Granite. And his first first brace for the club. Um, beautiful stuff. I was really hoping he'd get a hat-trick, but he can't have it all. And Jakob Kivia got his first goal for the club. He's off and running. Jose Sarr definitely gave him a hand. <laughs> Just a they, bit. <laughs> they all count, and it'll go down as Kivio's 5-0. But he... Bastards. Now it doesn't matter. <laughs> we keep a clean sheet at home. But we're going to leave the Premier League there, guys. I think we've covered everything, right? I think so, yeah. I think I that's think it. I think that is everything. We've got a guest eagerly awaiting. We're going to talk Poch to Chelsea another time, I suppose. Yeah, that's I think so. That's been confirmed. But we're going to take a very quick break, guys. And we're going to come back with some Serie A action and a guest mm. right after this. Hi, I'm David Wheeler, and you're listening to the Anglo-Italian podcast. And benvenuti, ciao, come stai? Welcome to the Serie A section of the show and welcome to our friend of the show. It's been a while since you've come on, Joe Spagnoli. How are we doing, man? The last time I came on, genuinely, was when Mourinho was appointed. It was that pre-season Whoa. before he started. <laughs> What a crazy wow, two we, years we, we really need to get better at getting guests back on. That's <laughs> too long. That is too long. Um, but good to have you on the show. Um, how are you feeling about Roma's season in general? And then we're going to do a bit of Serie A talk. Mm. Oh, God. It's been a... Yeah, you know that show All or Nothing, right? Mm-hmm. And in the case of Tottenham Hotspur, you know, Tottenham Hotspur, All or Nothing. And let's be honest, in the case of Tottenham, it's usually nothing. There's rarely an all possibility <laughs> Wednesday night is such an all or nothing situation for Roma because if we if we win the Europa League final this is on track on course to be one of our best ever seasons in terms of greatness Jose immediately becomes top three managers in Roma history if not even higher massive success with a depleted squad if we finish seventh and end up in the conference league again disaster and there's no other word for it because yeah there's been loads of injuries there's been all sorts of issues with the referees and the Jose, the cult of Jose has been very quick to remind us of that at any issue. It's never his fault. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, well, that's always the case. That's <laughs> always the case with Roma. Yeah, like if you've yeah. seen us under Fonseca, under Di Francesco, under Ranieri, under anyone, the referees always hate Southern Italian teams. Roma will always have inexplicable injury crises. There's nothing new about that. It's honestly, it's either disaster or relation. Yeah. <laughs> it does that does feel quite southern Italian? I'll be honest, yeah, yeah. they don't really have a middle bit. <laughs> but we're going to talk about Roma at the end. I'm great to see that already. Just the turmoil, the emotional turmoil that Mourinho brings in any fan that he manages is just so consistent and beautiful to see. But we do need to talk about Serie A, and we're going to talk. We're going to start with the relegation battle. Adam, do you want to take us to? We're we going to. So we're going to have to start with Spezia, right? What I think the so. hell was that? Yeah, well, I, I can't. I can't describe. Uh, I don't know what to say about this Spezia side anymore. I think we're going to be kind of talking about 
which players are going to be ending up at other mm-hmm. Serie A clubs by the end of next Sunday or Sunday yeah. coming, should we say? Um, because it feels like that way, unfortunately, Rory, because they lost handsomely oh. to Torino. Some really sloppy goals, I feel. Um, Dragovsky couldn't really be blamed, unfortunately. He could be maybe doing better at some of the attempts, but the defence and the players in front of him really didn't offer much. I mean, it, it just feels like maybe Spezia should have sacked their manager a few weeks mm-hmm. earlier and got someone in just to get something going because they've not seemed the same kind of team since I, I, I'm trying to think. I think there was maybe a game, maybe Milan, when they turned up mm-hmm. at Spezia and Anzolo scores like a double yeah, yeah, against yeah. them. I think that's the only time that I can recall where, you know, the Spezia side looks like they were going to win a game like at this moment in time. It just feels like the inevitable is going to happen where Hellas turn up at Milan now, Milan with nothing to play for. Uh, we speculated they might, but as it stands now, there's yeah, nothing yeah. for them to play for. And um, maybe get something miraculous and get more than just a point. And uh, Spezia, all depends on Jose, doesn't it, really? <laughs> all depends yeah, all, on what side Jose end up with Jose now. So yeah. it's just a question of... Who's going to turn up for Roma? Will we see Belotti score his solitary goal for this season? And uh, he's got a come and send Spezia down. I mean, the scenes could be interesting, but well, I yeah. think I think with Spezia, that first goal was a classic. When you're down there, they just go yeah, in. It was like up. deflection. The defender tried his best, and it's just like oh, one nil, and it just feels like oh, when you're down there, things like that just go against you. But then. I think they did well to stay in the game until like, so I was in the 20 odd minute, 26th minute. And then he didn't concede again until the 74th. And Richie hit an absolute rocket. Like he's got that in his yeah, pocket. And um, when he was at Empoli, he was, he was a very, very good player as well. So I feel like Spezia did okay to, to stay in it, but then they just completely capitulated. And yeah. now obviously on Thursday's Friday show, I said, oh, there's going to be no goals in this because Torino never score any goals. <laughs> that is the most they've scored all season is four goals. <laughs> so, of course, the Anglo-Italian curse strikes again. Um, but, Joe, have you? what have you thought of Spencer? They've got Anzola. They've got some decent players, but it's not really worked since Motta left, right? You've, it, they're very much the equivalent of Leicester, right? If they go down <laughs> and after last week's game, Jesus Christ, it looks likely. Mm-hmm. Their squad is going to get picked apart. Like, you mm. look through their roster, there's so much. It was Bartolomeu Drongovsky a few years ago when he was playing at Empoli. He mm-hmm. broke the Serie A record for, like, clean sheet against yeah. the most shots. It was against mm. Atalanta. He had 17 saves. They had 47 shots. He didn't let a single one of them in. I'm sorry, there's no way that mm-hmm. a goalkeeper like that deserves to be on the cusp of Serie A relegation year after year. Yeah. I don't hell I'd mm-hmm. take him. I think I think a yeah. lot of like mid-table teams in Serie A and elsewhere would take him. And then Zola, yeah, he. I, I think any club who's looking for sort of an affordable, physically imposing striker, and Balor and Zola's got to be like near the top of the shopping list, especially if you're based in Italy. Again, it'll be. Yeah. It's a shame if they go down. I have a lot of love for Spezia, but that that performance was a disaster. And again, it's like since Thiago Motta left. I don't know if they've had a single idea tactically, mm. a single yeah. like philosophy or. Stage, stage yeah. of momentum. Well, like, what are Leonardo Semplici's tactics? I could not tell you. I watched him for a year at Cagliari. I couldn't tell you what he's all about. 
He, he seems like just those generic Serie A manager, just generic Serie A manager that pops up in random clubs, and you're like, "Oh, that guy, yeah, yeah I forgot about him. <laughs> oh, he's been sacked. Oh, okay, yeah, never mind." Like, well, I think it's no wonder now that like Motta's doing a hell of a job at Bologna, and you're like, mm-hmm. oh, "Okay, right, yeah, I can see it." Like, that's how Spezia stayed up. Like, he's a he's a very 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 good coach. And Zola, I think, has got um. Salernitana, I think they're going to have to replace Dia and they're going to throw no, some money. I, I, think I honestly Zola think he's going to go there. I think he's really? a bigger club. I do, genuinely. I, I could see Jose keeping an eye on him and seeing if there's like some bargaining to be done. Because don't forget, they've got um, Shmorododov, isn't he? He's on loan oh, yeah. there. So could there be a swap deal done there, potentially? Um, I think Roma fans would be happy with but, that. Do you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but a player that I do like is Agadello. Agadello mm-hmm. is another yeah. one that just seems to thrive, just create something. He's just a really exciting player. So I'd love to see him at a bigger club. Someone like uh, Inter as a squad player. I mean, so, you know, I just feel like that. that's the type of player that Inter should be going, you know. And if they want to aspire to bigger things, rather than relying on their old-aged team that's creaking by the sideways. That's mm-hmm. who they should be going for. But as I've just been looking at some of their players, like Daniele Verdi's had a relatively decent season, it has to be said. Esposito's had his moments. He's not been consistent enough, but he's had his moments. Uh, even at the back, you know, Ampadus always seems to be playing for these relegation favourites, doesn't he? <laughs> he's Every got this season. Is his second one on his CV um, now. So it's not looking great for <laughs> yeah. him. But, uh, like, obviously... Uh, Joe alluded to Dragovsky, he's been mm-hmm. superb. So, you know, there's a number of teams that could do with a decent goalkeeper, even as a backup. I mean, Milan, sometimes they'd be going through the old age creaking like <laughs> goalkeepers, <laughs> like they yeah. could do with a decent backup yeah. to Manian. So, yeah, I mean, they're going to be picked apart, I feel, unfortunately. And then Hellas Verona, it's all about them. Can they get the result against Milan? Well, I think it's going to be an interesting one. Like, Joe, how do you think Roma are going to get on against Spezia? Do you think they're going to slap them about or are they just going to let them have it? <laughs> like... <laughs> just, it, it all depends on Wednesday. It all depends yeah. on how Wednesday goes. It all depends on how many players inexplicably get injured in the first 30 minutes. <laughs> I mean, I, I suspect Primavera players are going to be making up about 30% of the starting lineup, whatever mm-hmm. happens on Wednesday, just because Roma curse. But yeah, we haven't won a single game in our last seven. I checked the record before starting. Mm. There's a reason I don't watch Serie A games on the regular anymore. <laughs> I don't think Marino does. I would say that Forty's the one watching them instead, but he's suspended half the bloody time, like the assistant manager. So I can't even say that. No, I. Again, Spezia is exactly the kind of bogey team that will stick two goals past Roma in the last ten minutes, like Enzola to get a header in the 89th minute. So. Again, I have, I have no faith in Milan turning up with nothing to play for against Halas, but yeah. this late in the season, seven games winless, Spezia will be, they'll have chances. Yeah. I think that, that Roma form has gone so under the radar just because of that conference, just because of the Europa League final. It yeah. is insane, the drop-off. But we've talked about them. We need to mention them. Verona, they were so close to getting the win. So, so close. I thought, you stupid bastards. They dropped so <laughs> deep. They, the goal from Adolfo, always great to see an Adolf uh, pop up. I always wonder. Anyway, um, Adolfo Gauchi getting the goal. Um, a nice little finish. And I thought, okay, Verona, you can just see this one out now. Empoli classic mid-table on the beach. Just see it out. And they were right near the end. And the defenders kept dropping off, dropping off, dropping off. Fantastic finish. In the 93rd minute, I think it was, of seven minutes added time. 
And that felt like a massive gut punch to the Verona players. They were on the pitch, on the haunches. They knew that that was their chance, especially with what Lecce did the following day that we're going to get onto. They knew that they'd missed a massive opportunity. Now, Verona, regular listeners will know, we've always had a soft spot for them since their team last season. I feel like they've just not recovered from losing their front three at the end of last year. Mm. Like one of the best attacks in the league. They've just not been able to recover. But Adam... How? What do you think of this performance? I, th- I still think like they're not that bad. Their central midfield no. is really good. They've got Tomeze, Veloso. Like they've got a strong central midfield. There's a lot of quality there. They just can't mm. score goals. Yeah, and they've been, you know, when you've got the likes of Jurich as your kind of main talismanic player, I think that says what you need to know about this Hellas Verona squad. They've been since that. Ego Tudor days, they've been picked apart, you know, and you think about the players like Ilicic who went on loan for the rest of the season at Torino. I think that was a huge loss for them personally. I think if he he's still in that squad right now, I think they're actually a few points ahead of where they should be right now. Um, mm-hmm. And that that's the, that's the real problem. There's been a real kind of stripping down of assets down there at Verona. And they've been kind of, I suppose, where they should belong, if that makes sense, in the sense of, you know, what do you expect? But I think just credit for the way that Marco Zaffaroni's kind of got this team together. And I think going forward, it's just going to be just interesting to see how they play it against Milan because, mm-hmm. yeah, they seem the last few games like they've, they were slipping away. They were throwing it away, you know, doing some really bad results in the process. But I think, like, you're right. They've got some really good players on their day. I can see someone like Kevin Lasagna just turning up with a head <laughs> or something really stupid like that. Um, but, yeah, let's wait and see. I, I, I feel like, at the moment, the momentum is with Verona right now. It's mm-hmm. not with Spezia, despite what Joe is saying. And I know they probably will throw it away just for Spezia to just do whatever they want. Um yeah, I feel Hellas will do something miraculous here. It's gonna. Yeah. I, I don't know what is the goal difference in this. I, I'm curious. So the, the well, they're head to head. They're head to head. They. I think they drew both games, mm. and their goal difference is minus. So Verona's so minus twenty six. Difference in favour of Hellas. Minus thirty. Yeah. Now I did see Nima. Um, Tavali, of Italian it? football podcast yeah. talking about a potent, the potential of a playoff. Um, and I think it's because their head-to-head is is the same. Um, but I'd have to look mm-hmm. into that. But there is the potential of a playoff if they both finish on the same points. So it's going to go right mm-hmm. down to the wire. But I, I still think Verona they will just, just get out of it. I think Milan have been so inconsistent this year. And now they've got nothing to play for. They're just going to absolutely phone that one in, I think. But we will see. We will see. Elsewhere in the relegation battle... Now, of course, what did I say on Friday's show? There's no way Monza lose to Lecce at home. That <laughs> cannot happen. There is no way. And, of course, Lecce win 1-0 through oh, a last-minute no. penalty. And it keeps them in the league. And it was announced today, Adam, in Mancini's squad, Bashirotto yes, has been called to the Italian yeah. squad. Incredible Dude. stuff. Um, Joe, have you enjoyed Lecce this year, Bashirotto? We're we're big fans of him. It's I haven't watched a lot of them, but when I have watched Lecce, it's been very hard not to enjoy them. It's like mm. they, they have they have really lived and died on Vladimir Falcone's forming goal at times. Yes. <laughs> yes. They're, they're such a Hollywood side. There's this this idea that certain like mid-table Serie A sides have no quality in them on mm-hmm. paper. Just look at the Lecce team, like some of the signings that they make year on year. And granted, the last time they were in Serie A, 
I thought they were really impressive before the COVID lockdown hit, mm, over the yeah, course yeah. of which they just completely forgot what defending was and conceded like five <laughs> goals a game on the regular. But this yeah. time, they've just done it right. They didn't have the spending that Monza did or the crazy expectations that Brescia had and ultimately massively yeah. failed with. They've just done it right. And But again, I would credit Vladimir Falcone in goal. There's been, mm-hmm. That's been the difference between them and a team like Halas. Falcone's yeah, yeah. greatly overperformed post-shot XG. Lorenzo Montipo has underperformed it. If you look at a load of Serie A teams, like sort of 10th on down, just look at the goalkeepers. Like mm-hmm. goalkeepers like Vicario and Di Gregorio make a difference. Montipo yeah, yeah. does not. Yeah. 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 No, I think that's a massive shout. We've been talking about Falcone a lot on the show because he's a goalkeeper that I think a lot of teams should be looking at. I've got mm-hmm. him in my Fanta Calcio. So I know every time I play him, I'm like, oh, I think Lecce can keep a clean sheet here. And he usually does, or he gets your bonus points for saves. Yeah. Like, he's a very, very good keeper. But unbelievable win for them. I think, yeah, Joe, you're right. They have done it the right way. And bringing in Umtiti, right? That is incredible. An incredibly clever signing. Like the, the the I know he lost his way at Barcelona and he kind of had injury problems and stuff, but I think he's come in and just been that real mature, like experienced head and just offered a little bit of quality and a little bit of like just calmness in that team. Mm-hmm. And then with players like Strafezza up front, who's actually got quite a few goals this season now, they've just got that cutting edge that again maybe Hellas haven't had up top. So Great to see Lecce staying in the in Serie A. The bad news is Bari have just lost one nil in the first leg. I want pool. I want the Poolian derby in Serie A, but Bari have just lost the way to Sotirol in the ninety second minutes. So we might have to wait another year. We'll wait for the second leg. But congratulations, let's say Lecce. Hopefully, we get the Puglia derby in Serie A next year. Um, moving away from the relegation battle for now, I think we're going to go back up towards the top of the table. Um, and should we start with Adam? Who are we going to start with? I'm going to put you on the spot. Let's do Milan and Juventus. Milan. Now, where did I put the thing for Milan? Milan, Juventus. <laughs> exactly. Giroud makes the difference. There it is. Found it. Yep. Um, an incredible header from Olivier Giroud um, makes the Allianz with actually a bit of um, atmosphere for once, makes mm. the stadium very, very quiet as that goes in. Um, a game that obviously I predicted there'd be fireworks and all sorts, and it was one of the most dull games I've ever seen. <laughs> um, Joe, I'm going to go to you first. What did you make of this? Um, Jesus Christ, Juve are hard work. I, I said this to you before we started the stream. You, you said you went into this game expecting you know something exciting. It's, it's a Max Allegri Juventus game. <laughs> exactly. Right? What's wrong with exactly. you? <laughs> I, I just been I so much learned. fun. I never learned. It's been so much fun watching all the Juve fans like Carlo, Carlo Garganese and others just absolutely losing their nuts for the last <laughs> few months because their form has been so bad, like really, yeah. really bad. And then they basically confirm that he's going to be there next year when so many other options are available and just thinking, these guys never learn. And it's funny that since that points deduction got reinstated, their form has gotten even worse. Mm-hmm. I, I, ultimately, the crazy thing is I don't think this game is going to be what decides it if they miss out on... Europa League it's unlikely but if they miss out on Europa League it's that loss against Empoli like if you want to talk about a game going wrong from start to finish Jesus Christ Empoli are good they're not that good respectfully speaking not 4-1 good (laughs) (laughs) you have to be really throwing it in Um, but Adam um, Milan that's a very impressive win they've been struggling for form winning away at Juventus is always a big achievement right it's always Mm. notable Um, 
Who impressed you? I was really impressed by Krunic. I thought he had an absolutely unbelievable game. Yeah. Uh, stopped everything in midfield. But who stood out for you the most? I want to talk about Chiesa as well. But who stood out for you the most for Milan? Uh, I mean, it's very hard to go beyond also Diaz. I think Brahim yeah. Diaz has been very good. But I was also, you know, in parts, Liao kind of clicked it on at times mm-hmm. with his runs. I feel he wasn't the most impressive Liao that we've ever seen, um, but he was certainly offering what he would normally do. Um, but I think defensively, they were most assured, I think, you know, despite, no, there wasn't much thrown at them, to be fair, but Tiao and Tomori looks a lot more assured compared to the previous weeks where they've had Tomori and Kier. Kier, mm-hmm. I feel, is lot, losing his legs a bit. Uh, maybe like you know he's relying on Tamori to bail him out a lot more and we've had this before this kind of conversation but I feel that that feels like the future of where Milan go with this kind of defense now it's just about purely sussing out what he does with the likes of De Ketele and everyone else up top and who's potentially going to replace Giroud I mean there's been a lot of speculation again about who they're likely to bring in but yeah I mean there's a number of performances on the night I feel was really telling and you know maybe some prospect for the next season if they can get a few more short like starters to be in that squad and that, that well the first one is already through the door in Kamada which I think is it it's looks like that's done that is an incredible bit of business on a free that's a player that a lot of um a lot mm. of teams have been after from Frankfurt it looks like that one's done I love that as a deal um yeah, yeah I think Maldini's doing a very doing a very good job as sporting director, isn't he? I think he's doing a pretty good job. Um, so yeah, big win for Milan. I did just want to say, because it's been in my head, Chiesa, I've never seen a player look more miserable on a pitch. Um, <laughs> he looks like the definition of lost at the minute. I think he we've we've joked about him playing wing back for most of the season, but he genuinely was playing wing back last night. Um, and I think at what point. Like, as Joe said, Allegri is staying next year, right? They've mm-hmm. basically confirmed it and said he is the man we want. He has to go this summer, right? His agent has to be on the phone saying, get me out of it. Like, Joe, do you expect him to be in, in Turin next year? I mean, on his injury record, who moves in for him? Especially if it's like going late yeah. into the transfer window. Like, yeah. this. I'm looking at the Premier League. What teams are there over there that are in desperate need of a right winger? Like like Federico Chiesa and are willing to spend that much money on a player mm. with his spotty injury record. Yeah. Not to mention his form recently. I, I don't know if you guys saw the uh, second leg against Sevilla in the Europa mm. semi final. Mm. He was really bad. Like granted, he had chances, but he ruined every single one he had. That is not the Federico Chiesa that I know. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know what his valuation would be at the moment, but again, where does he go? Is the question. Mm. I can definitely see like an Everton just taking a punt and throwing eight, <laughs> oh, tr- no. tr- throwing no. like 60 million at him and said, yeah, imploding with anger that Everton have just bought Italy's star <laughs> player. Like, I can definitely see the, a random Premier League team throwing money at that and being like, we'll take a punt. Because he's still like, you're right, the injury record is concerning, but there's still a part of me that's like, yeah, I'll t- just buy him, just get him, just in case. Because if you can get him back mm. on form, he is a hell of a player. And I think he's just being wasted at Juve. And I think a lot of it is him just being incredibly unhappy, incredibly unhappy. Mm-hmm. And Vlaovic is the same, right? It's all going to fall apart around them. It is falling apart around them. Um, and they won't even get Conference League now, right? I'm just looking at the table. Um, oh, they're going to get Conference well, League. They're going to get Conference League, but they might be banned. 
So FIFA, ah, UEFA will it. ban them for yeah. a season potentially. So I think they will buy that. They will take that mm. as it is. But there probably will be, as we've alluded to, there's going to be some further repercussions because Plus Valencia, etc., is going to brew up again in the summer. So mm. I, it has to be sorted before the start of next season, right? There needs to be something that happens. But yeah, I think they're going to take this. And I do also, last word on Juventus, have to say thank you very much, Juventus. The fact that you have not made it into the Champions League means that Arsenal are in pot two, not pot three. So thank you very much. <laughs> I'm delighted. We cannot get a group with Barcelona and Bayern Munich. Only one of them, and that's fine. Uh, so we're going to move <laughs> on from um, Turin. And I think we're going to go to Milan, and we're going to talk about mm. Inter's stars shine as Lula, Lula. Oh my God, that partnership is really kicking off again. Um, So Lukaku scores within one minute, Barella within three, then Lukaku sets up the third goal. Some incredible play from Inter here. Some really solid defending at times um, until the end and some really, really incisive attacks. Adam, we've been talking about how good Inter are looking at the moment attacking-wise. That was some... like. Atalanta, okay, haven't been old classic Atalanta, no. but that was an incredible start against a tough opposition in a big game. Yeah, and this, when you look at pre the game, Gasparini was talking about how he wants to go into this intergame winning this tie. He wanted to win this tie. So obviously to lose that emphatically quite quickly as well, you mm-hmm. know, they were trailing 2-0 before... And it was obviously 2-1. It was pulled up by before half-time. I mean, that's not a position that you wanted to go into. Given that you know with Brozovic in that midfield, he's mm-hmm. not going to make it easy on Atalanta. And I know they got their late goal towards the end of the match, but by that point, the game was sewn up because it was 3-1 yeah. by the 70th minute, wasn't it? So, yeah, I mean, this just feels like an interside at a purring ready for this Champions League final. And I'm just, <laughs> it was just so fascinated to see how many of the English pundits are writing off into still. They seem yeah. to have it in their heads that these are an old team, you know, with previous ex-Premier League players. So how the hell are they going to outperform this Man City squad? But I think, realistically, they're going to frustrate them. They are going to frustrate them, use everything that Inzaghi has instilled to them. And Inzaghi, when it comes to cup, cup competitions, we've said it, He's absolutely brilliant. Yeah. He's absolutely knows how to master these finals. And that, mm-hmm. that's the difference, perhaps. And it's going to be so interesting to see the contrast in terms of the way that maybe Pep Guardiola maybe overthinks it as well. Because I think there's going to be moments where he's going to say, target a Cherby, target a Cherby. And then, oh my God, he's magnificent. And then he turns <laughs> up at the 80th minute and bullets a header into the back of the net. I can see that happening. Yeah. So. I just feel like it's written for them to do something miraculous on this stage. I think but... they're really they're really putting in performances. No matter what happens, they're going to go out on their shields. Like they are going to absolutely die in that game. Like they, we're seeing this the spirit around Inter that's changed across this season mm-hmm. has been incredible. I think you can see like Barella is just playing some incredible stuff at the moment. Um, Lukaku, that hold up play in the through ball yeah. for the third goal was unreal. Like I think we're just. And now it's so funny because we were saying that like, oh, Inter fans are going to be desperate for him to go back to Chelsea. Now all of a sudden, Chelsea want Lukaku and Inter want Lukaku. Yeah. I think everyone's like, there's going to be another bidding war. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Um, but Joe, how do you feel about Inter's end to the season? Do you feel optimistic? I have to keep reminding myself they're in the Champions League final. But do you, like, how do you feel about their chances? That's sh- I, 
I'm not going to say they're anything other than major underdogs because oh, yeah. let's be real. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I don't yeah, think they're dead by any means. And I would be quite disgusted for all of Italian football if they didn't put on a better performance than whatever the hell Real Madrid put on in that second leg, which was quite <laughs> yeah. frankly unbecoming yeah. of a top division side yeah. in any of the top five leagues. But I was <laughs> yeah. thinking this when you guys um, were discussing this because I was disappointed, although not surprised, that it took Lukaku so long to come into mm-hmm. form after his time at Chelsea. And we know what Chelsea do to their strikers. That's mm-hmm. hardly unusual. Yeah. I'm, I'm prepared to be corrected on this. Is there a team in Europe right now with more depth up front, up centre than Inter have? I think it's a very good point because they've got Dzeko as well, right? Yeah. And it's, mm-hmm. Dzeko bangs yeah. every time. Like... Dzeko never has a bad run of form. Lukaku's back. Latana Martinez is one of the most valuable players in Serie A. And you, ne- you look next down the depth chart, it's Joaquin Correa. And I remember when they brought him on against Benfica in the yeah. second leg. And I was thinking, <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's substitution, game's gone, they, they know they're through. And the commentator said something like, that the average time it takes Joaquin Correa to score in the Champions League is like 19 minutes. By the time I'd got over that statistic, he'd scored against Benfica. <laughs> so back to those early 2000s days where, I mean, Roma were the worst for it, like having five great strikers where only two were on the pitch at once. But all the Serie A teams were like that back then. Yeah. Inter seemed to have replicated that. It's fascinating. Mm-hmm. No, it is. They've like we've talked about their squad building a bit on the show, and it is an incredible like Morata's mm. done an, an incredible job there. Um, and like, yeah, their front line is Jekyll against Man City. We keep talking about, but Jekyll against Man City, there's a possibility there. But Inter mm. are absolutely cruising. I do also just have to say, Luis Muriel is the most mercurial of players. <laughs> he looks like he does not give a shite. He takes the worst free kick ever, and then just pings it into the top corner with the outside of his foot. It was just a quick flash mm. of classic Luis Muriel and then the season's over. I feel like it's the one time we've seen it this year. So he's Colombian, right? Luis yes. Muriel. There yeah. are Okay, I'm not saying that they're exactly the same player, but I feel like personality-wise, there are so many shades of Faustino Espria and yeah. that guy. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah, yeah, yeah. When yeah. he wants to be world-class, he just is. Yeah, but it's yeah. like 10% of the time. Yeah, he doesn't give a shit, a bloke. He's like definitely just drinking and smoking every night going out. I think he enjoys <laughs> Bergamo, I'll be honest. Um, but before we end the Serie A section, um, we do need to talk about Atalanta. It looks like Gasparini is off. Um, he made a comment after the game where he said, let's get the quote, um, there will never be a conflict. However, then there's Calcio and there can be different visions, which I always respect. It's also clear that when you feel out of place, you start to ask questions. This year it's like this. Maybe the time has arrived, but it's a thing that we will discuss together. Gasp leaving Atalanta could be absolutely huge. It will be interesting to see who they're going to get in. But un- mm. unfortunately, Gasp, your thunder has been stolen because <laughs> slightly further down south, Spalletti has, he got the tattoo, he's got the the Scudetto and the number three on his arm, but it looks like he's going to be taking a year off away from Calcio due to contract demands. Um, Adam, we talked about this, so I'm going to get Joe's spin on this. Um, Are you surprised at how quickly it's fallen apart at Napoli? Because I feel stupid for being surprised. As someone who holds an extremely taboo and honestly dirty feeling affectation for SSC Napoli despite all the rivalry it's just so sad how quickly this has all fallen apart like Mm. there's no way that this was going to be replicated next year I don't see any way that Napoli would be able to 
first of all, hold on to all of their players, but hold mm -hmm. on to the Scudetto next year. Because let's be honest, the teams battling for the Champions League in Serie A this year have... I mean, they've had they've stumbled on so many bananas, it's been incredible. Mm -hmm. I look at the gap at the front. Napoli had a cold run of form, and they're still miles clear of anybody else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's it's extremely disappointing. I don't know where they go from here, who they bring in, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Then again, it's been so soon afterwards that um, replacements wouldn't have been suggested. But yeah, just extremely mm -hmm. disappointed. Spalletti puts on one of the... A Serie A season that we are going to remember, a Scudetto winning season that we're going to remember at least 50 years from now, yeah. and it all just falls yeah. apart within a month or so. Yeah, it's it's so disappointing for the city. Like, I'm going to Napoli this weekend. It was supposed to be a celebration for the end of the year. and be like, ooh, street parties in Naples. <laughs> I feel like it's honestly going to be dead. I'm going to see how it goes. But I think it's such a, such a shame. I think Spalletti has just acted, he's acted so dignified as he always does. He has every right to come out and slag off De Laurentiis, slag off the club and tell the fans what he's done and just like mm. hang out all the dirty laundry but he's just gone no that's fine i'll take a holiday i'll take some time for myself i can't do what's right for the city it's for and i just absolutely love the bloke i'm so glad he's done it he's finally won the scudetto he's done it with in naples where it does mean more and i'm just yeah so sad for the fans that it's not going to last much longer i thought this was a chance for them to build a, a dynasty honestly i thought this was a chance for them to really push on and try and get a few league titles in a row but it doesn't really feel that way adam who should Napoli be looking at? I feel like everyone's going to go Deserbi or Italiano are going to be the first two options. But is there anyone else you could think Napoli could be approaching? Jurgen Klopp was mentioned. I, I, I don't know where you start. I feel like it has to be a yes man for De Laurentiis. It's mm -hmm. got to be someone like that. And the talks were Rafa Benitez, weren't they, a few weeks ago? So, you know, it, it's going to feel like it's going to be a massive downgrade from Spalletti, whoever goes in there. I can't see them getting to Zerbi. I, I don't no. see how he gets enticed by that personally. Um, but, yeah, I, I think it feels like it's going to be an Italian coach again, personally. Mm -hmm. I feel it's going to be someone maybe maybe Sutil from Udinese, perhaps, you know, someone of that ilk maybe mm -hmm. perhaps, and then we'll, we'll see what happens. But yeah, I, I don't think it's going to be the same kind of calibre. And I, I'm more interested to see where Spalletti ends up. I think at the end of this like sabbatical, whether it be in six months' time or whether that be in a year's time, I think he will have a few clubs that all potentially want him. I mean, depends what you know Milan and Pioli do, because that always mm -hmm. seems on the edge, doesn't it? It goes hot and cold there, whether they make the trigger. And, uh, we've talked about he was just a stopgap. Um, Allegri seems like the man that potentially will be pushed out eventually out of that kind of creaking door in Turin. Um, and it's just, I, I don't know. I just, I, I despair. I think we might, I think we might see Juve hold on to Allegri for a year and then approach Spalletti. Uh, yeah, the second they the can, I think we might see him in Turin. Um, and I think as much as I'd hate to see him winning things with Juventus, it would be nice to see him get a big job again because what he's done with that as joe said this is a season that's never going to be forgotten honestly it's never going to yeah. the way they have just cantered to the league and played some of the best football we've seen in italy it's just beautiful incredible to watch so joe we're actually going to start talking about roma now we don't have to talk about roma fiorentina we're going to save you that pain um and we can just concentrate on the even cooler kids club final Oh, no, it's the Cool Kids Club final. I got it wrong. Um, as Roma take on Sevilla this midweek. Mate, take us through. Let's start with Roma's um, campaign to get to the final. 
How did you get there? What were the highlights? What were your favourite moments? Then we'll talk about the final itself. Oh, God, I'll try and keep it brief because bloody hell, it's been a weird season. You th- the, the idea of us doing the double, winning the Conference League and then winning the Europa League, it had been flirted around. It had been suggested mm-hmm. on um, like the AS Roma subreddit that I'm very, very active on. A load of English-speaking fans. I was thinking, yeah, it's, it's possible. We've got Mourinho as our manager, but also, you know, we've we spent seven million all summer. Our net spend is negative. It's, it seems unusual. And then we lost our first game against Ludogorets Rosgrad, and I'm thinking, shit, this is not going to go well. We only won three games in the group. We failed to beat Real Betis. And then, like, I was scrolling through. AS Roma posted on their Instagram like a, a rundown of all the games that we've played so far. And in basically every knockout tie. We've been behind after the first leg. Like, we're behind against RB Salzburg, behind against um, Final Rotterdam, who after last year, needless to say, we have pretty serious issues with. Pretty serious issues in the past as well, but they've escalated. But then that semi-final against Leverkusen, I'm not without sympathy for the Leverkusen mm-hmm. fans that turned up to the Bayer Arena wanting to watch a game of football, because that's definitely not what happened. <laughs> um, but yeah, honestly, I'm watching, I was watching the game on Discord with some friends, and the noises that were coming out of me, I'm not sure they were human, just constant <laughs> frustration, like all the chances we had to counterattack that we weren't taking, every single shot that Rui fucking Patricio was expected to save after the season he's had in Serie A, I've got no faith in him whatsoever. But then, you know, it, it's, it's horrible playing that kind of football when you're watching the game. But when mm-hmm. those 90 minutes are over, watch me give a fuck about how <laughs> AS Roma have made their way to a Europa League final. And the thing is, the Conference League final was a massive, like, monkey off the back, right? First European mm-hmm. trophy since mm-hmm. the early 60s. And even that wasn't. It was the Inter- Inter-Toto Cup. It was not like these. However, the reason why AS Roma won the Conference League was because we were the best team in it, quite comfortably. We should have won the Conference League, mm-hmm. and we did. There were no impressive wins in it. And quite frankly, some of the games against, like, Berda Glimt in particular, we should never have been losing. I cannot begin to explain how AS Roma have made it to the Europa League final this year with the injuries we've had, the lack of investment, how thin the squad has been. But what's really good about it, this doesn't apply to Serie A, where our campaign, as Rory said, is completely nosedived. It doesn't apply to the Coppa Italia, where after seeing Napoli get wiped out after rotating against Cremonese, we decided to do exactly the same thing. And the same thing happened twice. Every single player in the squad even Patricio, even Tammy Abraham, who's underperformed like mad, every single player has contributed something crucial to this Europa mm. League run. We would not have made it to the final without a single one of them. Mm. And Eduardo Bove, man, I mean, where this idea that jo- Jose Mourinho doesn't get along with young players comes from, I've got no idea. Because every season, there is a youngster that comes yeah. through. You would yeah. never expect it. I thought it was going to be Bove based on his hero goal against Hellas Verona last year. But he's one of those players that, I've said this to a few people before, He's one of those players that you don't give a damn what any of his like individual attributes are, right? Like his shooting stat, his dribbling, mm. his pace, anything like that. Because his gladiator stat yeah. is <laughs> off the fucking charts, man. Like that is, he embodies Jose Mourinho tactics, AS Roma through and through. Thank God we didn't send him off on loan to Lecce or Sassuolo in January. If you want a mid, like Mancini was the first player to really buy into this Jose philosophy. Shock, but Eduardo yeah. Bove, like, <laughs> definition of a utility mm. player i love him to bits and what a goal against leverkusen mm. as well I, you'd never have guessed that eduardo bove would be the guy to get as roma to a europa league final 
It feels like Roma, it's like written in the club laws somewhere that there has to be one youth product who like bleeds AS Roma in the team at any one time. They just, it's like Highlander. It just, they respawn. <laughs> there can only ever be one. But I think he's been incredible this season. I've really enjoyed watching him. Like, as you said, the second half of the season, really enjoyed watching him. Um, so then what have your highlights of the campaign been? What are the moments that you look back and go, okay, that was a, that was nice. That was a good moment. Not just the like, yeah. you know, time wasting and rolling I didn't around answer on the ground. That. I didn't answer that the first time, pardon me. <laughs> do you know what? This is incredibly petty. But making it through to the Europa League semi-final was amazing. Like getting a win on the like, that was great. The fact that we beat Feyenoord specifically after the <laughs> bitching that Arna Slot and that horrible <laughs> fan base gave us after last year, the arrogance they showed us after the first leg. Yeah, beating Feyenoord specifically was the like most cathartic moment of the season. As for the funniest, I mean, Salvatore de Forti getting suspended for three <laughs> games for pushing a Feyenoord player. Like, it's it, off the pitch. I mean, Jose Mourinho is always box office, obviously, and he always gets suspended. The assistant has to come in. When when Jao Sacramento got sacked, I was thinking, well, God, who the hell are they going to bring in now? They've just brought in someone who gets suspended more than Jose does. <laughs> That's all Salvatore de Fotti does, but we love him for it. And it works, yeah, it works. somehow. Yeah, exactly. It works. It works. Well, nice. So heading into the final, as we've talked about, Roma's form has fallen off a cliff a little bit, but you have managed to get there. Sevilla are having a pretty difficult season themselves. Um, it looks like they, I think they are safe now, or they're pretty close to safety, but they have had a difficult season. We're not expecting a great game of football, I don't think. But how are you feeling ahead of this final and what do you expect? Marcos Acuna being suspended at left-back for Sevilla mm. is huge. Mm-hmm. I know I know a few Sevilla fans and they say he's their best player. And if okay. you watch the World Cup, you totally understand it, mm-hmm. right? It's been an off-season for them. You know there's that Mitchell and Webb sketch of watch the football <laughs> When he begins, it with like, this week, the immovable object of Southampton faced the irresistible force of Portsmouth. Like, that's obviously a satire, right? Like, that doesn't apply to most games. It does to this one. Sevilla have never lost a Europa League final. They've won six of the damn things. He won three in a row. That's not supposed to be possible. But Jose Mourinho has never lost a European final either. Whoever wins, this is going to be an historic history-breaking mm-hmm. match. It's just a shame that whoever wins, it's probably going to be an awful game of football. Like, there's, no, <laughs> there's no way that this is going to be the most entertaining of the three European no. teams. No, 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 I think it's going to be like, it's going to be one of those games where like my slightly Brexit mates at home are going to complain about European football. <laughs> They're going to be like, oh, it's going to play into all those stereotypes, those lazy mm. stereotypes about time wasting, rolling on the ground, um, little handbags everywhere. But there's still a part of me, I'm a sadist, we know this, that's kind of looking forward to it. Adam, wh- who do you think, what do you expect from the game? How do you see this one going? I might kind of break that kind of philosophy and actually say I think there might be a few goals in this I, I don't know why but it just feels like it's set up for it to be severe get an early goal and then Roma have to come out then and then mm. that might make it a bit more spicy because I, I feel with this severe side they've got nothing to lose here but if they mm. go out and attack this Roma side despite the fact that we're talking about how great defensively they are. I, I feel there's um, really big players in the severe side. So El Nezri is someone that's been scoring in every round, it feels like, at the moment. But they've got some interesting players. 
everyone will know about Ivan Rakitic and what a control he has over that midfield. But, you know, you've got players like Rafa Mir on the right-hand side. They've got Suso, who the Italians will know about from his time in Milan and various other clubs. And this is the thing. I, I feel that this is a team that shouldn't be, you know, underestimated in terms mm. of their attacking threat. I mean, despite, you know, not doing so great in the previous rounds against the likes of Man United, for example, but they actually turned up at Old Trafford, for example. And, you know, they they gave them a game and against Juventus. <laughs> they were so, handed. They were handed yeah. that tie, though. They were absolutely They were. They were massively. Too. And again, this is what I'm going to allude to. Juventus, again, Technically, Juventus were the better side, really, but they were just shockingly bad in terms of finishing. So mm -hmm. this is the thing. If you give them a chance, they'll score a goal. And this mm -hmm. is the thing that he seems to be doing every round. He seems to be scoring despite the fact that they've not been the better side. So mm -hmm. someone has to give. Something has to give in this game. As Joe's alluded to, there will be history made of this. But I feel like Sevilla will be the most likely to score the first goal. And then that really changes the dynamic of the match. So will Jose go out and kind of just make sure that it's scored the first goal and then sit back like they did in the previous year's final? I don't know. I can't see it. I think it will go the other way. And then we'll see the other side of Roma. It's going to be an interesting one. Just very quickly before we run out of time, Joe, who do you expect the key players for Roma to be? Who do you like? Any surprise starters? Who are the main players that people should be keeping an eye out for? Um, Paolo Dybala has returned to fitness and Ooh. will be able to play. I don't think he'll start in case That's it goes to extra time, but I think Paolo Dybala is going to be on the pitch and he is our best player. There mm -hmm. is absolutely mm -hmm. no question he has been Roma's best player by a country mile this year. Yeah. However, I've alluded to this before, and this is something of an agenda. It lives and dies on Rui Patricio. Mm -hmm. In Serie A mm -hmm. this year, he has been atrocious. There was a post-shot XG stat posted in, I think, March. I put it on Reddit. He was by a mile the co the goalkeeper in Serie A most underperforming post shot XG. Like he made Andrea Consigli look like Buffon by comparison. It's that bad. <laughs> He's been very good in the Europa League. He spilled a couple of saves that I wanted him to do better with in the semi final. He had me worried, but thankfully Leverkusen were quite naive and panicked. Sevilla are not going to be like mm -hmm. that. Rui Patricio frightens the hell out of me going into this final. I have faith in him after last year. I have partial faith in him after last year. It lives and dies on him. Um, mm -hmm. However, hipster pick, Spanish player, Diego Llorente, if he returns to the starting lineup, that's massive. I know Leeds fans hate him, but that's because they're stupid. Yeah. He's, been our, he's been our best centre-back for the last two months before mm -hmm. he got injured. Yeah, I've, I have been impressed by him because it was a bit of a weird move and I was like, is that a good one for Roma? But yeah, it looks like it's worked well. Well, Joe, we will have you on after the final regardless. I promise oh, we won't gosh. leave it two years again this time. We will have you on <laughs> after the final to talk about whatever the hell happens. Um, but thanks for coming on to the show, mate. If our listeners and viewers want to follow you anywhere, or yeah, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me on my relatively inactive Twitter at Joe underscore Spagnoli, where I post about whatever the hell I want. I have to, I, <laughs> I have a job coming up, so I need to be like quite well behaved on there. Um, <laughs> and if you want to follow me on my even more inactive Instagram, it's, jo, it's at Joe Spagnoli, no underscore over there. You can find me elsewhere on platforms like YouTube and stuff where my socials are inactive. Maybe stuff's coming down the line. But guys, it's been an absolute Good pleasure stuff. to be on here again. Beautiful. Nah, Great to great. have you on. Adam, anything to go before we let these beautiful people go home? No, no. Thank you as ever. And it's going to be a blast. I'm looking forward to these finals now. 
Well, here we go. First of the European finals. Um, as always, thanks for joining us, guys. Um, hit the like and subscribe button down here. You can find us on Twitter at Italian Anglo Pod, on Instagram at Anglo Italian Pod. And we will see you on Friday. We're running out of show, guys. We will see you on the next one. Bye, guys. Ciao, ciao. Podcast Network.